You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have uh, Abraham Otero. He's an associate professor uh, in information technology uh, at San Pablo University. We're going to be talking about uh, heart rate variability analysis with the R package, RHRV. It's a book that talks about the, the basic concepts of heart rate variability. So Abraham, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Richard, and thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, so what is, uh, what is heart rate variability? Well, heart rate variability uh, is the attempt of studying how the heart rate varies bit by bit. Probably most uh, people who have no experience in the field believe that the heart rate uh, tends to be constant if, for example, we are completely at rest. So, for example, if we are lying in the bed, sleeping or meditating, the heart will tend to beat at a constant pace to produce the right cardiac output for that level of uh, for the level of uh, blood that the body is requiring at that moment. However, this is not how it really works. Uh, heart rate in a healthy heart is varying all the time. Heart rate is controlled by the autonomous nervous system, and it has two main branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And the sympathetic is trying to speed heart rate, and the parasympathetic is trying to decrease the heart rate. And both of them are trying to fight each other, let's say. And it's normal to have constant variations of the heart rate, even being completely at rest. As a matter well, of fact, why does the heart rate uh, why does the heart rate vary? What causes it to vary, and uh, what's the significance of that? <laughs> Well, the reason why probably varies is because uh, from the point of view of controlling a system, having a single control mechanism, having, for example, a, a just one branch of the aut autonomous nervous system controlling the heart rate will make things much uh, simpler from the point of view of having a truly constant rate, but it will make that system to be less robust. So the truth is that we have those two systems. The sympathetic uh, is also called the fight or flight system because uh, what it does is it tries to accelerate the body. It increases the cardiac output and it prepares the body either to run away or to face uh, some type of uh, fight or some threat. And the parasympathetic, it tries to conserve energy in the body. So both of them are trying to control the, the heart rate through the sinoatrial node, which is the point on the top of the uh, right atrium where the heartbeat starts. And those variations uh, are actually healthy. I mean, uh, the, the less healthy your heart it is, the less variation your heart rate will have 
And if your heart rate did not really vary at all, it was like a metronome. And for example, you were exactly 70 beats per minute all the time. That would mean that your brain is dead. So it's healthy to have those variations. What would it mean that, okay, so if your heart just goes like a metronome, it doesn't vary at all, that signals trouble. So the, the lower the heart rate variability, the more trouble within a certain range. That's completely right. The lower the heart rate variability, the more trouble, uh, the less uh, healthy the cardiovascular system of of that person is. And no heart rate variability means that uh, there is no regulation from the autonomous nervous systems. And this typically happens when the brain is already dead. I saw that happen once in an intensive care unit, uh, a patient who was intubated and has artificial breathing. Uh, his uh, heart started beating more and more and more uh, at a constant rate. And in the end, it was completely constant. At that moment, uh, the brain of the patient was dead. The heart kept pumping blood for seven, eight hours because uh, the patient was connected to a mechanical ventilator and it kept uh, the patient alive. But probably the patient could have been considered dead in the moment where the heart rate was completely constant. So what's a natural variation of heart rate variability and what, what causes it to vary? What are the biggest factors or important factors? Well, uh, if we talk about heart rate variability in general, there are many factors. One of them, of course, uh, the obvious one is uh, the level of physical exercise. The more exercise we do, the more we move, the more cardiac output the heart has to uh, be producing. And therefore, we're going to have a higher uh, heart rate. However, that's not really the type of variation that is really providing information about the health of the heart. A healthy heart, even at rest, it should be varying the heart rate all the time. In my research and what we try to do in my research group, we distinguish between what we call deterministic and stochastic variations in the heart rate. Stochastic variations are variations produced by things such as, for example, the level of physical activity. The heart rate of a given person at a given moment depends on whether you are walking, uh, whether you are sitting down, whether you are sleeping. And that's something which is quite hard to predict. I don't really know tomorrow at this hour, will I be sitting down such as I am right now, or will I be uh, walking or running? The deterministic variability is the one which truly arises from the autonomous nervous system trying to control the heart rate from the sympathetic and from the parasympathetic branches, the sympathetic trying to speed up heart rate and the parasympathetic trying to decrease. So that's the type of variability we really care when we're trying to uh, assess how healthy a heart it is. Part of the things we have done... uh, Yes, so it seems like exercise, you know, obviously would increase heart rate of course. and vary it that way. Um, but perhaps meditation would decrease it decrease. in the other direction and vary it that way. So maybe both exercise and meditation could be good to increase your overall heart rate variability. Not really the type of heart rate we try to study uh, with the type of algorithms mm-hmm. that are implemented in RHRB. Those will be what we will call the stochastic variations. Those variations will have to do with what exactly you are doing in a given moment. Uh, I'll try to give you an example so we we can understand a little bit better these concepts. Uh, let's suppose we have two persons. One of these persons is somebody who is uh, very overweight. Uh, he's not usually... Uh, 
he doesn't usually does uh, practice any type of sport and his cardiovascular system is not in very good health. And we have another person who is a professional athlete. He does a lot of sport, he's very healthy and his cardiovascular system is in great condition. Knowing exactly what is the heart rate of any of them at a given moment uh, is quite hard because it depends on whether they are sleeping or meditating or running or going up the stairs. So knowing how exactly in a given moment the heart is going to behave is something we cannot predict. That's what we call stochastics. And we don't really care about that stochastic part of the heart. However, it's obvious to everybody that a professional athlete's heart and somebody who is overweight that doesn't usually practice sports, both hearts are going to react quite different, for example, when they are going up some stairs on where they are at rest. Both cardiovascular systems, they're going to be working in very different ways. And that's the uh, deterministic part and the one which yields more information about how exactly the heart behaves. I can use another example, for example, which comes from one of our publications and has nothing to do with heart rate, but I think it's uh, simpler to understand. The same type of algorithms we have developed to try to study uh, the stochastic and deterministic components of heart rate variability. We have applied them to the daily prices of uh, diesel, uh, of gasoline, of petrol here in Spain. Those daily prices here in Spain, uh, they have a well-documented variation of Mondays because on Mondays, petrol stations are required by law to report their prices to the European Commission. And if those prices are considered to be abusive, the European Commission may fine them. They only have to report the prices on Monday. Uh, this point is ridiculous. They could report the prices in real time or at least every day. But uh, due to historic reasons, the price is only reported on Mondays. It is documented and sometimes petrol companies have been fined in Spain because they artificially decrease the price on Monday. So on Sunday is high, on Monday it goes down, and Tuesday it goes up again. So what we did in order to prove of our algorithms and knowing that this is a fact is we apply the, the type of algorithms we use to unveil deterministic and stochastic uh, functioning on the heart to the daily prices of uh, petrol through several years. So we had the time series of daily prices. And the algorithms actually found that uh, from Tuesday to Friday, the price of the petrol was completely stochastic. Stochastic means it's not predict predictable. We don't really come for a cask what's going to be the price those days. Uh, it may depend on whether there is some conflict in the Middle East or whether there is uh, a lot of hot, a lot of, a lot of uh, heat in the environment because we are in summer and people are using their air conditioners a lot of and more gas is being used to produce electricity and so on. However, these algorithms found that on Saturdays and Sundays, there was a slight increase, just a few cents in the price of um, the uh, gasoline. This is probably due to uh, supply and demand. People tend to refill more their cars on the weekends and they tend to travel larger, longer distances on the weekends. And there was a sharp decrease on Monday of uh, between one and two cents in the price. So the algorithms were capable of picking up that deterministic component. And using that information, for example, we can know that uh, 
from two years from now, we cannot really predict what is going to be exactly the price of petrol in Spanish gas stations. But we know that on a given Monday, it will probably be between one and two cents more, uh, less expensive than on Sunday or on Tuesday. So that's the type of thing we try to do also with the heart. We want to remove all the stochastic information, which has to do with whether you are doing exercise, meditating, sitting down, walking, and so on. And we try to see what is this underlying variation, which again, it may be uh, counterintuitive because we may believe that uh, the heart is like the engine of the body. And if we are completely at rest or we manage to do exactly a perfectly constant level of exercise, the heart will be pumping at a constant rate, the one which produces the necessary cardiac output to sustain that level of exercise. However, again, that's not how it works because there are two different control systems, control mechanisms of the heart, and these two control systems, they don't have perfect coordination, and they are trying to move the heart rate in different uh, directions. One try to increase, the other try to decrease the heart rate. Well, why not? I mean, what's so hard about studying people, you know, laying down and just breathing or people, you know, walking slowly on a treadmill? I mean, why, you know, wouldn't that show you, uh, you know, the variation, the natural variation of the person or while they're sleeping? Yes, most uh, published paper related to heart rate variability, they tend to have those type of ideal situations where the patient is lying on a bed, is at rest, and we try to decrease uh, the stochastic variation. And that's uh, completely fine. However, if you want to conduct monitoring of the patients uh, while they are doing daily activities, because you want to supervise them continuously, in that case, you need to get rid of that stochastic component. And that's our long-term goal. Uh, I believe uh, that uh, cheap physiological monitoring devices, uh, devices such as, for example, Apple Watch or Fitbit, which uh, have capability of measuring your heart rate or your saturation of oxygen, they can catalyze a change in the type of medicine we have right now, which is uh, rather reactive to a more proactive type of medicine through the monitoring of physiological parameters uh, along daily activities. Why do I mean by reactive and proactive medicine? Typically, in the, the current uh, way that uh, the health services work is that a health intervention starts when the patient goes to the doctor, goes to the health service. And when do the patients go to the health services? When they have some discomfort, some pain, which usually lasts for a long time or is very intense. If you get up in the morning, and you have a pain in your knee, if the pain is not very strong, you're probably not going to do anything and you're going to wait at least a few days in order right. to see if the pain disappears. Only when you have the symptom, the pain for a long time, or if it's very strong, you finally go to the doctor. And that moment, the doctor is going to perform a series of tests. Uh, if the problem is related to the heart, of course, you're going to ask for an electrocardiogram, is going to check the electroactivity of the heart and may find that you have some pathology. But that pathology, which has been diagnosed at this point, it may have started maybe even before you actually have the initial symptoms. It's possible to have pathologies which uh, start sometimes days, sometimes months, sometimes even years before the patient actually starts suffering symptoms or starts uh, or knows that uh, the patient, uh, he or she is ill. 
One of these examples of pathology, for example, is sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is characterized by cessations of the breathing of the patient while the patient is asleep. Sleep apnea uh, decreases the efficacy of the nocturnal rest, and this has a lot of uh, negative consequences, both because the patient feels tired and less rested during the day, and also because his cardiovascular system is uh, sustaining more stress during the night and is decreasing also the health of the cardiovascular system. And sleep apnea patients may actually be suffering sleep apnea through months and years before they actually have symptoms strong enough to go to the doctor and they finally go to the sleep unit in the hospital. They sleep for one night over there and they are finally diagnosed. So our current model of medicine is very reactive. We have a problem. We know we have a problem because we've been in pain for a long time or we have a strong pain. We finally perform some tests and those tests enable the physician to diagnose the patient and finally start treatment. What will be proactive medicine? Proactive medicine, it will be having a watch which is capable of, for example, monitoring your heart rate and your saturation of oxygen, maybe some other physiological parameters, analyzing using machine learning algorithms those data and realizing that that patient has a problem. Realizing, for example, that the saturation of oxygen during the night in this patient has continuous falls lasting between 20 and 50 seconds, which are typically the, the saturations, uh, the falls in oxygen saturation, which a patient with the sleep apnea suffers. And before even the patient starts having those symptoms, the health services could proactively contact that patient, inform the patient that he's having some type of problem, and start proposing typically not medication at this point, but changes in lifestyle in order to try to correct this. I'm using the sample of sleep apnea because I think it's a very simple to understand, but with the heart, it could be the same problem. A patient may start having, may start developing a cardiac disease months in advance of presenting any type of symptom. And we could warn that patient that, for example, he or she is starting to present arrhythmias. And those arrhythmias may be because uh, it's not doing any type of exercise, it's a little bit overweight. And if the patient tries to correct that, we can stop the disease even before the disease produces symptoms in the patient. So if our final goal is to achieve this type of proactive medicine, we need to be monitoring the patient's during their daily activities, and we need to be able to disentangle what information is stochastic and irrelevant and what information is really providing value in order to assess the health of the heart of the patient. So how far along are you in this? What have you found is the, you know, the degree of variation in different people naturally? Well, on the one hand, uh, the, the RHRB toolkit uh, is one of uh, our contributions to the field. That could get this download about 500 times and is implementing a wide range of, let's call them, standard heart rate variability algorithms. Most of those algorithms are not our invention, but they are the invention of uh, other researchers. However, we they, they are included in that package, and that package is completely open source and free to use to anybody. 
we have some, let's call them experimental algorithms, which are the type of algorithms I'm talking about. Uh, these algorithms have already been published in papers. And for example, we have shown how these algorithms can be useful uh, in the case of sleep apnea patients to be able to identify whether the patient has sleep apnea or not, and even to be able to quantify the number of apneas that the patient has suffered uh, through the night. Right now, what we have is algorithms. That's pretty much source code and publications. And we are starting, we just got funding from the Spanish government, a project which is going to develop a, a T-shirt with sensors that patients are going to be wearing through daily activities in order to try to extract the same information in no such in no in conditions which are real world conditions and no ideal conditions, in, not in patients which are still and we are monitoring them while they are still and we have a lot of quality in this in the signal but we want to see how the system will behave when there are artifacts when the patient is moving when the patient maybe decides that is not going to use this day uh, the the t-shirt and so on so right now what we mostly have is the algorithms implemented and tested over uh, data sets which are publicly available on the internet but we have not started a real world test with patients you're saying using a uh, halter monitor or this T-shirt with the sensors, someone doesn't necessarily have to go into a sleep lab. You can look at their heart rate variability, you know, through the day and night, and you can see if they have apnea pretty accurately. Indeed, for example, uh, the, the benchmark we use for the case of the sleep apnea uh, is a data set which is typically referred as a ECG apnea from Fisionet is a data set made up of 30 patients, 20 of them have sleep apnea and 10 are control patients. And over that data set, uh, the algorithms were capable of correctly identify the, the patients with the sleep apnea and the 10 healthy patients. So it's a small data set, it's just 30 patients. And from my point of view, it's not a very complicated data set because the signals have a lot of good quality and this typically an issue in in real world scenarios, but in that in that data set, we get a perfect score in classifying who has sleep apnea and who doesn't have sleep apnea. And we then managed to correctly identify 90% of the individual apnea patients uh, over those, uh, those different uh, 20 patients who do suffer from sleep apnea. So the goal indeed could well, be- this is good. This is good because you could, instead of just one night in a sleep lab, which is invasive and difficult and expensive, you can monitor someone you know, all the time or over a series of days in their natural environment and probably get a lot better data. <laughs> and the idea, it wouldn't be to go to the hospital, get the halter monitor, go back home and be monitoring uh, for one or two days and taking back the halter device to the hospital. The, the uh, ideal situation and the place where I hope we'll be getting there maybe just five, 15 years it's to the point where uh, health uh, tracking devices such as Fitbit and Apple Watch and so on are capable of incorporating these type of algorithms or whether they are from those brands or they are provided from the national health system. And even before patients start presenting symptoms, this type of illnesses can be identified and we can try to stop them before the patients are symptomatic. This can have very positive effects, of course, for the patient, but it could also lead to savings to the health system because if the health system is more proactive, 
and the patient does not reach the acute stage of the illness and requires to be hospitalized. We just uh, recommend some life changes, for example, to the patient or maybe some medication that on the long term will produce savings from the health system. Okay. I mean, it sounds like a great goal. Um, in addition to apnea, is that enough? Is that plenty to try and predict? Or is there more that uh, that you want to predict using the system? No, uh, we we there, there are a lot of uh, associations in the literature between different types of pathologies and heart rate variability. For example, they can be used to pre- to predict the ventricular arrhythmias, uh, sudden death, or hypertensions or diabetic neuropathy. So our goal is to be able to identify more diseases. In, when we think about heart rate variability, we primarily think about heart because we are taking as input the heartbeats, the instant where the heart has beaten. But we are really indirectly measuring how the autonomic uh, nervous system is working, how these uh, regulatory systems of the body, which is controlling a lot of other systems, uh, is it working in the right way or not, is it healthy or is not healthy. And there are many other diseases, for example, diabetics and hypertension, which will also be part of the clinical trials that we plan to conduct. Yeah, those are a lot of different things that uh, that could be looked at. Can you talk maybe about one more thing? So you talked about apnea. How would any of these other conditions be tracked using the heart rate variability algorithms? What would you see? Mm-hmm. For example, the, there is the general rule that uh, the less variability your heart has the worse your, the health of the cardiovascular system it is. So the same way as a fitness tracker nowadays track the number of steps you have made that day or the number of calories you have burned. These devices, if were frequently by the user, not necessarily every day, but maybe once a week, they can be tracking uh, how much variability your heart rate has. Regardless the condition that the patient has, Typically, having that condition and evolving in that condition will decrease the heart rate variability. So just by measuring heart rate variability and seeing that it's decreasing, that should be raise a red flag and decide that we should check what's exactly happening. This is, for example, what's happening uh, in patients who have had a myocardial infarction. And uh, those patients, they typically have a high risk of suffering from sudden death. And that sudden death is associated with a decrease in heart rate variability. Well, very good. So, what uh, what stage are you at? What's uh, what's needed to start your test? Um, you know, on on people that may have sleep apnea, is it happening right now? You know, like a clinical trial, no. or what stage are you at? It's it's not happening right now. Uh, right now, we have those algorithms implemented and tested over uh, data sets, uh, which are publicly available on the internet. The algorithms are running on a standard PC, uh, on a standard computer. That's not the best platform to be using with the patients because uh, we need to first... These algorithms have to be uh, fed data from sensors that are going to be placed on the T-shirt that that the patients are wearing. So we need to develop this T-shirt and we need to connect the algorithms to the T-shirt and that's going to be done through a cell phone. The cell phone is going to be recording the data because cell phones are after all computers and we can use to gather the data from the sensors and send the data to an online server, which is where the data analysis, the data crunching is really going to be done. So at this moment, uh, we, we, we were granted uh, 
like a month and a half ago, uh, some research money from the Spanish government in order to carry out this research project. And we are starting with uh, developing the T-shirt and implementing the algorithms in the sample. Very promising. So what's the best way for uh, people to find out more uh, and to get in touch? What do you recommend? Well, if they are interested in heart rate variability, uh, the heart rate variability, the RHRB uh, website is probably the best uh, place to go. Um, RHRB is uh, a R package. R is a, a statistical environment for data analysis in general. And if they work with the cardiac data and they want to apply this type of techniques, if they go to, uh, if they Google RHRB, they will get to the website and they can, they have instructions to install the package. They have video tutorials and they have tutorials in PDF and they also have a forum if they want to ask for help. So if listeners are interested in what we've been talking about, I will direct them to the, the RHRB website. I can send you the link if you're going to publish some notes with the podcast or something like that. Yeah, that would be great. Well, I appreciate you coming. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Richard. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.